This is the Two Spies Podcast, a part of the Numa Life family. Get ready to dig deeper in the Bible, have your worldviews challenged, and gain some different perspectives. Now, the conversation begins with your two spies, David and Mark. Do we the same thing every week? That noise. I don't listen to the music enough to know what the music sounds like when we come on anyway. I don't either. I forget about it. But anyway, we're we're dealing with the church part. Did have some kind of techno stuff a while back, like dubstep. That was pretty cool. Yeah, a little more my enjoyment. Yeah, I mean, I like I used to like techno a whole lot, but. I mean, over a while, you listen to it for a few years, it's kind of like they all kind of run together. Yeah. The same, you know, the same beats. I like the electronic uh, twisting, sucking noise of the synthesizers and that kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, it's still not chicha. So we're talking about techno music today. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so we're talking about the church part two, um, kind of. I guess branching off, and I think this, I this was the third one about the church. It might be the third one. I don't know. Yeah, the church part two, take three. <laughs> there you go. All right. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to kind of start with some weird scripture. Um, I don't know if I'm going to read them all, but um, from Ezekiel, and I guess you still understand as I read. Or, um, so Ezekiel chapter 20, and I'm going to read... Um, four verses, uh, start at verse 33. Um, as I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I will be king over you. Talking about the, talking about Israel. Uh, verse 34, I will bring you out of the people. I will bring you out from the people and gather you out from the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand and outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. Verse 37, I'm going to skip a few verses. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. And verse 41, um, as a pleasing aroma, I will accept you when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out from the countries where you've been scattered, and I will manifest my holiness among you in the sight of the nations. Basically, Ezekiel is going through the process of prophesying against Israel. Um, saying, you know, God's going to judge you. God's sick of it. Um, you're going to be scattered. And then God's going to say, okay, once once my anger yeah. subsided, once my wrath has been poured out and it's been justified, then I'm going to call you back to myself because of that covenant yeah. um, that we've talked about, I don't know, countless times. Many times, yeah. Um, so um, I probably won't read all the verses, but just uh, for the listener, you can go back and read um, Ezekiel 22. Uh, t- verses 26 through 30. Um, really, Ezekiel just kind of deals with um, the various um, pr- the priests and the people and how they um, have treated his temple and how they make sacrifices um, or how, you know, that whole chapter really deals with them making sacrifices to their son or, or um, sacrificing their sons and daughters and then turning around and coming and making sacrifices to the Lord. And God says, that's enough. Um, yeah. Even the priests and all these people who are supposed to help keep the people in line are being a part of this whole issue with his temple. Um, so um, I'll read verse 30. Uh, 22 verse 30 and I sought for a man among them who should mm-hmm. build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it but I found none so and the whole nation of 
where God is supposed to be lifted up and people are supposed to be dedicated themselves to him, he can't find one person that's dedicating. So yeah. um, that's why God's just, you know, saying, okay, I want to purify my people in the sense of they're going to be scattered. Um, they're going to be, you know, judged. My wrath's going to be poured out and then I'll bring them back and hopefully things will uh, work. So Ezekiel is basically just telling Israel um, judgment's coming. God's going to purify his people. Um, so what does this really have to do with the church? Yeah, um, what does it have to do with the church, Mark? Nothing. The end. <laughs> um, so like I said, Ezekiel's he says that, or God says, I want to bring my people back because of the bond, because of that covenant that I made. And, you know, all throughout the Bible, we find out that the covenant God made with Israel, um, there's a new covenant, obviously, that we talk about, but the covenant is with people about restoring people back to God. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> so when people, you know, talk about the church or talk about Israel, um, there is a purification process and that God is not just doing away with because X, Y, and Z is not working out or not happening correctly, but um, that God sometimes allows things to happen um, for the for the reason of purifying his people. And I think, I don't know if we talked about it in the last podcast or just in passing, but, um, you know, we talk about, is it God's will for a church to close its doors? Church oh, yeah. meaning building. I think we did talk about that and last one. We did. Okay. So I think so. I don't know. But if, if not, basically <laughs> we're talking, you know, is it God's will for a church building to close down? And, um, we would often say, no, it was not. But then you're, then you look at, um, Old Testament or God dealing with Israel. Um, we did might, talk about sometime because we referenced uh, the churches in Revelation where he says, I'm going to come okay. remove your yeah. lampstand. That's right. That's right. So, I remember, yeah. Yeah, we have mentioned it. Yeah. So, if nothing else, also, like, uh, I, I want to say New Testament, some of the first times, like when the, when Ananias and Sapphira lie, they drop dead. That's So, kind of heavy stuff in the first time events, right? Of <laughs> right. sin. And we had. Yeah. I think we had mentioned also during that time the sin unto death, that when you get to a certain point, the implications there that New Testament, uh, it's either Paul or John. I hate to be so vague, but he's <laughs> saying basically uh, you're a believer and you're going to be saved, but you're making the church look so bad. You're making God look so bad. He's going to go ahead and take you out of the world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> that might be the purpose of the church door closes too, if you make him God look that bad. Yeah, and, and like you know, like we like back in Ezekiel when you know priests are part of this process of um, worshiping other gods and making sacrifices that are not pleasing to God. I mean, there's pastors and teachers and whatever you want to call it um, that are not doing things right, and God might have to deal with that pastor, deal with that congregation, or whatever. You know, if if you can if you consistently um, ignore. God's word and ignore what he's laid out as far as um, what a pastor should be, et cetera, then God might have to deal with you and they might be closing doors down. Who knows? For some reason, what you're saying comes to or brings to mind uh, Eli and his sons. Hmm. They came to him all the time saying, your sons are doing this and you're not doing anything about it. (laughs) Yeah. And he has, he's ignored it. And then his sons died one day and he dies the next, then the same day, you know, a couple hours later when he hears about it, but it was coming. Because he did nothing yeah. to get what was in his control or what was under his responsibility. Yeah, it's probably out of his control by then. But he had done nothing for so long with his sons. His sons are out of control. 
that made the priesthood look bad. Yeah. And God kills them all three in one day. Well, that's a good point. So that just for some reason that that story pops in my mind about. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I didn't think about that story, but you're right. There's a whole lot of disciplinary issues about with with mankind, but. They start centering more and more throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. He has, he has things to say to teachers and preachers and and priests a yeah. lot. And there's a lot more responsibility there, but he gets on them. Yeah. And most of the time, when people are going astray. It's them going astray that has led them that way. Right. They see the man of God doing that. They think it's okay to do what he does. He's actually doing what's wrong. But they start doing things that's okay, and they wonder why. God lets the thing happen, like closing the church doors. Right, and, and that's one thing. I, I'm I'm doing like a personal study with Ephesians, and um, <clears throat> there there's a part of me sometimes where um, I really hope I get things right <laughs> um, as far as doctrine, as far as teaching goes, because sometimes it's so easy to miss or take a verse out of context. Yeah, um, and so. If if you're called to teach, or you know you you are um, underneath someone, or you're over someone, and you're teaching the Bible or whatever, you know, um, there's almost like a stress factor of man. I hope I got this right because, um, you know, we're, we're we're presenting a sound or should be presenting a sound doctrine, not just a doctrine of how we were raised, how we were taught, how we yeah. see the Bible. Um, like we talked about, I think it was last week about the healing. How, you know, people say, um, you know, well, it's God's will for you to be healed no matter what. So we're going to pray for your healing. Well, in the in the big realm of things, it's God's will for everyone to be healed. It's God's will for everyone to be restored. It's God's will for everyone to blah, blah, blah. Get saved. But there is a, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you'll be healed in the end. <laughs> right. But there is a point where we're all going to die. We're all, there's going to be a point where we're not going to be healed. And um, we talked about the blind man who was um, blind and all for the glory of God for this yeah. moment. So you can't just really take a few scriptures from James and where it says, call you know, the elders, call, call and call the elders you'll be yeah. healed. And we claim that scripture because God's going to heal you. Well, that's not technically, you got to read the context. You got to take a bunch of scriptures elsewhere about healings and so like forth. Like from the so. front cover to the back cover. <laughs> right. All of them. Yeah. 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 So, so support it. Um, and God, you know, one thing I think we've kind of mentioned is that God's not replacing the Jewish people um, no. with the church. And I think there's um, this argument about, you know, uh, people that are pro-Israel, pro-church, and we kind of talked about it last week, how um, God's not replacing the Jewish people with the Gentiles. Right. And, you know, we think we, we talk Jew, we talk Israel, we talk church, but um, I think the better term or the better way to say it is we're the body of Christ. Um, we're the church. Israel is a part of the church. It's the church. Yeah. Gentile, Jew. Um, so... The church is a, the church is really a continuation of God's plan, the covenant overall between God and man. Um, so you know. So yeah. the purpose of the church. Yeah, go for it. Well, I thought or you were going to go oh, for oh, it. Oh, oh. I don't know if you had anything in Ephes- <laughs> I don't know if you want to do the Ephesians or. Uh, well, I was trying to look at your notes here, but uh, <laughs> my email just closed them, and then it won't open them back up again. That's awesome. There they are. Okay. Oh, sweet. Well, I've got different things. <laughs> okay, I'll just Your keep going. Your first section is kind of going along with my section. We just label them different. Okay. But uh, 
you're looking at the purpose of the church. I'm looking at what is the church in a way. Okay. So kind of go hand in hand. We can just kind of talk back and forth about it. So what is the church? In church, uh, in Scripture, the church is the ecclesia. Uh, we did talk about this, I think, first podcast about the church, that uh, the ecclesia are basically, it, it's very likened to the English words ek as an exit, meaning out, and klesia, call, klesia. But you kind of shift. When you, uh, I think we mentioned it also before. When you when you take a word and you go from one language to another, you end up keeping usually the consonants and shifting them around, maybe. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so, klesia call the called out. So it means the called out ones. We are the called out ones. Um, I guess one thing that I have come to realize over you know the time I've been saved is before I was saved, and other, within other religions. It's almost finger pointing and, and kind of laughing, like mocking, like the church is such a new religion. <laughs> yeah. Almost like uh, age is a bragging right. Of course, I guess right. age usually is a bragging right to the person <laughs> who's got age. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everyone who is uh, who's bragged against by someone who's older one day becomes someone who's older themselves, and I guess they'll <laughs> do it too. So, But the funny thing is that it was always a plan of God from long ago. The church was always a plan of God, long before many other other religions. Um, I guess if you look on the timeline, Israel would be first. And if you wanted to couple some things together like Israel, Islam, and Christianity, it would be in that order. But technically, Christianity is the church, which is an extension of the—I think you called it in your notes that Israel is really the first step of the church. Right. So the church already existed long before Islam did, in a way. It's older than Islam by that, in that sense. Yeah. But it being a, a plan B, which is the plan A, he's <laughs> yeah. restoring us yeah. to what we originally were. What we originally were is the first plan ever. It's before all of religions. All right. Relationship with God, uh, God walking with Adam and Eve in the garden and coming to visit and hang out with him every day is the true first religion in a way right relationship so therefore the church is the oldest thing that yeah. there is I mean, the church is just a relationship with god i mean yeah you know you like you know like i talked about you know you can't using the word israel and church sometimes puts a gap or, or a versus old testament versus new testament which is yeah. technically not yeah it's just like we've you know mentioned going back to our genesis study where you know the jewish people did not Begin until Abraham. Well, there's a lot of people existing before Abraham. Right. So the church is already in motion and plan. And God just says, okay, there's all these people. There's a bunch of people doing their own thing. I need to figure out what, or, you know, I'm talking like I'm God, but <laughs> I need to figure out a way to um, show everyone else that this is my people. How can I do that? Circumcision. Okay, mm -hmm. and then here's these rules and here's these laws, and then people will know that these are my people. And fast forward to the New Testament, and Paul says, you know, God, now we're marked by the Holy Spirit and the circumcision of the heart. This is how you're going to know my people by the fruit, yada yada yeah. yada. Um, yeah. So God just basically, you know, the first plant or the first part is a physical um, marking to be His people, as opposed to the spiritual, you know. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, the laws and stuff will kind of come across to the the fruit. It's how you act. People know you by how you act. Yeah. Yeah. 
So they know what you belong to and what you're into. Um, I mean, I got a lot of notes so I could skip through because there's <laughs> other things I want to get to that are, I think, more interesting. Okay. Uh, I'll say this, though. Kind of one of the last things on what the church is. Most people's objection to the church is based on people in the church. <laughs> right. It's not based on God, the, the God who created it, or the organization of what the church is actually supposed to be. It may be against the the organization of what the church is, but not what it's supposed to be. If it functioned like it's supposed to be, which we're all human, so we're not doing <clears throat> yeah. to the max of what we should be, uh, even the organization that God established – but most of the time, even if it's against the church as an organization, it's because the organization is not working correctly. Right. So it's it's, it's ha- it is broken. There's some things that are broken there. Yeah. And I I was gonna say this question for the last thing, but I don't know if it fits later. We'll we'll postpone it. But since I wrote it down, but yeah. Um. So this is a question I have that I was trying to wrap my head around answering, and I for the life of me cannot. Grasp the answer I'll for the reason. Up. Oh, there you go. Um, so to, there's this double illustration about the church. One where the body of or the bride of Christ. This will fit much later. Better. Okay, good deal. <laughs> we'll come back. Stay tuned. In. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this commercial break. No. Um, dun, oh. dun, 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 well, on that note, I are gone. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, I guess let's, we can move to the purpose of the church. Go ahead. Um, if you're good. Yeah. Um, so the purpose of the church and Israel was, like we just said, to be a witness about God to the world, to evangelize the world or to be a witness, however you want to um, say it. So a few Old Testament and New Testament scriptures uh Deuteronomy twenty six eighteen through 19. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasure possession as he promised you and that you are to keep all his commandments and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all the nations he has made. And you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. And I just kind of put, um, if you compare that scripture to Matthew 8, uh, 20, 18 through 20 about the Great Commission, yeah. talking about... Um, being a being a witness to the nations, <clears throat> um, God has called you to be a people to be a witness. So, um, Exodus nineteen six, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. First Peter two nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Um, being a holy people is being a witness for God and proclaim means not to sit in a location, not to sit, um, in Jerusalem and say, all right, come here. No, or not to sit in church. <clears throat> well, there you go. It always gets me that church signs constantly say, welcome. <laughs> yeah. Well, that you can come in here. We'll let you in. Yeah. If you want to come in here, you come in here. Well, that's one thing. We're not coming out there to talk to you. Right. Yeah. If you want to hear about Jesus, you come to us. We'll tell you, but you got to come to us. You got to you got to open the door. And you know, this is kind of getting off on a ramp, but um 
back, I guess, in the 80s and 90s. Um, I'm Mark, not sure. Are you ranting again? I'm ranting. Here we go. Get like, ready. Like in the 80s. This is Mark's rant. <laughs> um, but 80s, 90s, um, possibly before, there was this movement uh, in the church world um, where um, you can have a service and people will come. Billy Graham would have crusades and people would flock and yeah. hear the gospel and people would genuinely be saved. And you know, But there was this movement of you would go to hear the gospel. You would go somewhere to um, be prayed for. You would go, etc. Yeah. And I'm not saying those were bad, but that was just the time. But now we have that same mentality of like you were just talking about. Well, if you want to hear the gospel, you got to come here. You got to come this. You got to come yeah. here. You, um, you got to come to this event, this event, and it's kind of made Christians lazy. Like we, you know, right. there's that twofold purpose of the church being an organization, a location for the people to come and worship God and to be equipped for the work of the ministry. And then there's the individual people, church, that as we leave the building or, or the group, yeah. um, we're supposed to reflect what, what just happened to people that aren't going to come to church. Church is not meant for unchristians. Yeah. Um, there, there. I have a book in my office which annoyed me a lot, but um, it's uh, it's called Unchurched, I believe, and basically it's talking about how um, unchristian, right there. Oh uh, yeah, unchristian, and it basically talks about how we need to have churches um, about. Um, we need to be sensitive to people who aren't used to things of God, who aren't used to the church world, etc., and. Uh, I wonder why. I well, mean, a church to that? A church is meant to worship God. A, a person who doesn't believe in God or, or accept Him as who He is or know about Him, obviously they're going to come and... I mean, a church service isn't meant for an unsafe person, or shouldn't be. It's meant for the people of God to worship God and to grow in fellowship. Yeah. So, kind of going along with what you said a second ago, there was a phase of time where people came. Yeah. And that is past. That definitely is not part of our culture now. Right. And I don't think, like you're saying, that the the, the mentality of the church that you're going to come to us and we're going to let you know about it, that hasn't passed from the church yet. We're outdated right. in that sense. Yeah. But, like you said, uh, I agree completely. No, the church is not, a church service is not for the unchurched. And like you got, I mean, you got people who's going to bring the friend sure. who's unsaved, but sure. that's not happening as often as the preacher says they want it to happen. It just right. isn't. Yeah. And how many times have I asked a person to come to church with me? And they say yes. They're lying. They're not going to come. <laughs> they just want you to shut up. You have the conversation with them. That's why I stopped inviting people to church. You guys, if you're going to talk about anything Bible or Christian or Jesus stuff to them, you do it right now while you're standing in front of them. Right. You've got their ear at this moment. And that's it. And you've got no promise even when they get the church address, they get the church phone number. You're going to, we could do call a secretary. <laughs> right. You got all this stuff about the church. You're, they're just basically asking you for all the information to show you interest. That, yeah, we've been looking for a church. They're not looking for a church. <laughs> if they were looking for a church, they would be, they would already be in a church somewhere. <laughs> right. Because they would have gotten up last Sunday morning and they would have went to some church. <laughs> and if they didn't like that one, they have been doing this for a time. If they've been looking for a church seriously, they're going to many churches looking for a church to stop at. And if they're 
if they didn't go to one last week, they're not coming to yours this week. Go ahead and talk to them now. Yeah, right. Here's my rant. <laughs> go for I it. guess all, all that said, uh, and, and kind of refer, referencing your book there, now the church service itself is really not even for evangelism anymore. It should be to teach the Christians who are coming faithfully how to evangelize. Right. But not, hey, talk your friend into coming here so the pastor can tell them the story. Don't you know it? Yeah. You, the common Christian out there, have you not read the Bible enough to say, Jesus 101, <laughs> he's God, he's perfect, we're sinful, he came in, is God coming in the flesh, he lives a perfect life, dies on the cross, rises from the dead, goes to heaven, and he's coming back to get us later. Is that not within your realm, your realm of knowledge? Yeah. Just reading the Gospels a couple of times. You don't even have to study them hard and you can get that. Right. And if there's questions you can't answer, then there's people around that you can say, hey, um, do you mind if, you know, or, or go find the answer. Go seek the answer from someone or yeah. um, who's studied. And, you know, that way. Do I know. sound mad now? No, I don't think so. Okay. No, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. There's been, there's, there's been too many things that have perturbed me over over time. Well, it, it's, just... it's made lazy Christians. Yeah. Um, you know, how many Christians know how to share their faith or how many have ever done, talked about their faith openly, you know, yeah. besides, hey, don't come to church with me? That's a lazy way out, yeah. in my opinion. Um, I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying don't invite someone to church or, you know, it's bad. But if, if that's all you've done as far as your witnessing is, you want to come to church with me? No? Oh, okay. Uh, that's kind of, you know, James says... That um, if you don't practice what you hear or read, you are you deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. Mm-hmm. And if Jesus says, "Go into all the world," not not ask them to come into the temple, call or, all the world. <laughs> yeah, come here. <laughs> tell the guys to come here. You know, he says go because they're not. And Paul even says, you know, how will they hear if no one goes? How will they, you know? Listen, mm-hmm. if no one's there to tell them, um, there there is a um, there is a burden on every single Christian because every single Christian is a church, in a sense, that we are to go out into the world and present the gospel. Now yeah. we're not going to sit there and preach, but you you know, Paul talks about you live your life in such a way that you gain the respect of outsider. Um, you love people, you encourage people. Um, but not just that, you have a set of values that show that you belong to God. You're not doing the same thing as everybody else is doing. You kind of re- touch on something right there with Paul that echoes on down to us, plus it is in... There's a whole lot of Ephesians stuff. I believe, I believe between me and you, both both of our notes, separately, we both kept coming back to Ephesians. Um, but on that right there, let's see, this is Ephesians 3, 7. Of this gospel, because he's already been talking about the gospel of Christ. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. So Paul was kind of like, here's an awesome thing that happened in my life. I was given the responsibility to get to tell you about something. And he goes on um, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light to every, for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This, uh, I, I told you, I believe, when we first started the church uh, 
series here or these these three or whatever that I went back and got a paper I had written on ecclesiology. Yeah. This is one of my this is what I titled it hidden for ages. So what is hidden for ages? Whatever it is that's hidden in God. So that uh, so, so here's this this uh, Ephesians three nine here's verse ten so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be known might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places this was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord taking all that together the church is the mystery hidden for ages in God and I get back to my it's the oldest religion thing. The church has been hidden within God forever. He's been waiting to bring it out. It's been made uh, manifest to show the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, meaning the the spiritual demons and angels and rulers like that, those hierarchies. The church has been brought forward to manifest and show that God uh, has the real authority. But this was all according to, this is verse 11, this is all according to the eternal purpose that he realized. Realize means to make real. <laughs> well, I always yeah. say realize, and you think uh, it's a, 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 a brain word, <laughs> but it is also a hand word. If you realize something, you make it become real. But all this this mystery hidden for ages in God, which is the church, was done according to the eternal purpose which he has realized. How did he make it real? Christ Jesus. That's hmm. my whole what is the church thing. It's, I guess I'm coming back to the first point again. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's God's way of saying, I'm going to make all the powers, all the spiritual powers in the whole universe realize what I am by coming to live in man. It's it's odd, really, right? Yeah, it is. Speaking of that part, let's uh, purpose of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so you talked about that. Um, Acts one eight. <laughs> mm, this verse is quoted so much, um, <laughs> but but you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So we didn't personally see Jesus die or rise again, his resurrection. Um, so how can we be a witness? His Holy Spirit confirms it to us. His Holy Spirit reveals it to us. We don't understand the logistics, but, I mean, it, it's just his Spirit yeah. bears witness um, to what we miss. Where are you reading from there? Hmm? Where are you reading from? Oh, I was just talking about Acts 1-8. Okay, you yeah. said Acts 1-8. I just... <laughs> Zoned out. Zoned. Yeah. Um, I thought you were talking about like John 16. Oh, no. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So, I mean, there's too much for me to tell. Jesus telling his disciples too much for me to tell you. Yeah. So I'll Wait. basically send the Holy Spirit so he can tell you everything later when you got more time to comprehend it. <laughs> well, that's a good point. <laughs> more time to sit and think about it. Um, Enoch was a witness for God to the ungodly, Jude 14 through 16. Um you know, it was about, you know, uh, Enoch, uh, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness. And they have committed in such an ungodly way of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Ungodly is a pretty common phrase in, in yeah. those verses. Well, but, I mean, you, you read from Enoch. Is that incredible? 
Do I'm reading from Jude. That's from Jude. That's from Jude. <laughs> Who's quoting me now? <laughs> I'm a quote being facetious. Yeah, but. I know. We've, we've talked about that. Um, but so Enoch was a witness for God even in the Old Testament um, before um, Israel yeah, ever became. Yeah, long before. So, yeah. So um, in fact, Enoch, yeah. what it's saying right there, if you look at it, though, he's witnessing about what? The coming of the Lord with the church. Hmm. I mean, you can see a picture of white horses descending from the sky, then you know, Revelation 19 style. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. That if you if you think about if God is outside of time and he's bringing people occasionally to show them uh, some kind of vision, he can show them a vision from any time in time. <laughs> right. So he takes uh, Enoch from way back before the flood, takes him forward to the very end of all time to the judgment of the whole world and shows him the coming of Christ with all the saints and the mm. judgment of the world. He's basically showed him the same thing he showed to Apostle John and then takes him back and sets him back down in, in Enoch land, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. We'll use that We'll use that one for later. <laughs> Jews write that one down. Um, so put Enoch witnessed and then was taken away. Um, Jesus was a witness for God to the ungodly as well, and then he was taken away. Um, Israel was a witness for God through Moses. Um, God worked through Moses, etc. He was also taken away. And he was taken away. Huh. So the only one that remains is God's own spirit. It's a constant testifying, which... That'll be taken away, too. It will. Huh. So, so there's a witnessing and taking... <laughs> witness and you're done um, well, I mean there's there's the ending to the the, the opportunity yeah right. all opportunities have an ending time was like well you didn't take it that's, that's done yeah you can you go shopping for a house or you go applying for a job there's a time where the offer might have been on the table and now it's not <laughs> you waited too long or whatever yeah well that's a good point uh, any other thoughts about the Holy Spirit yeah but they would come back better when we get into marriage Okay. Yeah, they would come. Because I, I guess. We can go right into the marriage thing. Okay, well, here's one thing I had kind of. We, we talked about original planning and that being based on Moses' feast. And mm-hmm. we, look, we talked about Leviticus 23, Deuteronomy 16, and how uh, the first three feasts, which are maybe it's. Can't tell you from memory. Well, right there is mentioned together Sabbath. And then Passover and then unleavened bread, all those. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, first three feasts and Sabbath, because the what's the third one there? Uh, first fruits. All those are purely Jewish. And then we talked about how Deuteronomy sixteen is the one that brings into uh, Shavuot, which is what we would refer to as Pentecost, mm-hmm. and Feast of Booths. Both have. Gentiles specifically, or or strangers, sojourners specifically right. named, to be brought in. Uh, either way, just looking at those things just to get an idea of the original planning. Part of the original planning, which we have already kind of talked about this time too, and I brought from John fourteen, sending the Holy Spirit. So Christ told his disciples that he would send another Comforter. John six, uh, fourteen verses sixteen and seventeen. Tells his disciples that he will ask the Father to send this one who is the Spirit of Truth. I guess this is getting at what I was getting at. I'm going to get anyway, because he reiterates it again over in chapter 16 of John. But uh, just getting at the original plan of God, 
uh, is to come as Jesus and pay for man and then come as the Holy Spirit and live within man. And that's called the church. Somebody who's paid for by Christ and lived in by the Holy Spirit is the church. Right. Yeah. Uh, Going on from that, though, I guess to because let's see. Yeah, I get into husbands and brides after this, so it kind of leads into it through the Holy Spirit. This is one of my uh, points I had sent you. If you're looking down through there, it's number five out of original planning. And I was looking at some of this this morning again, and it brought me to like, whoa, there's another thing, you know. Not actually, like you're studying the same thing again. <laughs> yeah. So the Holy Spirit in, and back in Ephesians again. <laughs> Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. And let's see, we'll back up to 12 so you got context of this uh, pronoun. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Who was the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I'm sorry, I just took half the verses of the longest sentence in the Bible. <laughs> anyway, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. Uh, the wording right there basically is uh, autobahn. That's the Greek word. And for some reason, when I was younger, I looked in this right here in the Spanish Bible. I think maybe I was in Costa Rica looking for something that I was going to be preaching on. And I was looking in a Spanish translation, and I saw this word, arras, A-R-R-A-S. So if you go look at what arras is in a, just a common Spanish dictionary, it's a wedding gift from a groom to a bride of 13 coins. It can be gold or silver. Huh. But this was started, uh, if you just do some background looking at it, it was started most likely by Greeks and Romans culture but as that spread through spain it became part of their culture as it became a part of spain's culture when spain branches out and comes to central and south america it's now a common practice in wedding ceremonies like we do mixing of sand or mixing of candles or whatever yeah. some kind of unity ceremony this is one of the pieces or part ceremonies of a spanish style wedding huh. it's exchanging of coins but it has traditionally 13 coins if they are extremely Catholic, it carries one symbolism of Jesus and his 12 disciples. It kind of like seems to me like they're just copying and pasting something for that. <laughs> the, the, the other more, uh, more, in my mind, more acceptable reasons that are given for what the symbolism is, is that basically it's the husband giving her these coins saying these represent that I will always take care of you. I got your, your bills. I'm getting you a place to stay. I'm going to have, make sure you have food on the table. We talked about this recently, just right. a, a husband's responsibility to a wife. Um, but it just, and I think we talked about the Holy Spirit being a wedding ring. Did we? I think so. I'm just trying to, I don't want to uh, bore the listener by saying it again, unless you and I just talked about it in private conversation or something. But <laughs> that's I mean, what I'm doing. You can say it again. I mean, so uh, he's talking about the Holy Spirit being a down payment pledge we're sealed with the, whole, the promised holy spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it so until we acquire possession of our inheritance what is your inheritance if if the down payment is like the whole inheritance 
it's the same thing. We have a small piece of it right now because we're still in the flesh and we still sin, blah, blah, blah. We're still living in the world. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We have this very small piece of God. Not that the Holy Spirit is the smallest piece. Right. Not that he's a trinket. (laughs) But it's really based on our small minds, not that he's a smaller part. Our small hearts, not that he's a smaller part. Right. But we have this small part of God because it's as much as we can handle. And it's a promise ring or a down payment of a greater inheritance. So if we have a small part of the God head, we will one day endure the full presence of God. He's the promise of that. Hmm. So the ring, and this one that I was telling Hasten this morning uh, about what I was studying that we were going to talk about tonight. On the way to work, I was just telling her the Holy Spirit is a basically a engagement ring, and it's we give an engagement ring to tell the wife I'm going to take care of you. I'm, I'm going to be responsible and get up by an alarm clock. Yeah. That's something that to me is like what was the guy's name? Pastor Chip, I think. He always talks about an alarm clock. <laughs> he said he he met a, a bricklayer when he was in college who always came to him and, and banged on his door early to get him up. And this man was a Christian. He didn't beat him over the head of the Bible. He just made him work <laughs> and was a was a great witness about how his life was. But he said, that man taught me you need an alarm clock in your life. And it's something he always talks about. To me, an alarm clock says, uh, I'm going to set it. Even though, even though I got in bed too late because I watched TV too long, <laughs> yeah. I said it because there's things to do in the morning to be responsible to show up at work. I got to show up at work to get the paycheck. I got to get the paycheck to give her what I promised her. So he gives us the Holy Spirit and says, I'm going to be responsible for everything. I'm going to take care of all of it. You're going to have a house. There's many mansions in my father's house. Yeah, You're gonna, I'm going to say, make sure you have what you need here and there. There's going to be food on the table here. I'll take care of you. There's going to be food on the table there. It's going to be a wedding banquet. <laughs> but our promise ring, our engagement ring from God is the Holy Spirit. So this brought me to a funny thing because I told Hayes, I said, this is one of my favorite stories. And when she read it, she's like, that's one of your favorite stories? <laughs> so this goes to uh, Judges 1. <laughs> I like Judges. <laughs> Let's see. See, I had it later on my notes, but it fits really good right here. So, okay. Well, I guess the next subject matter we're going into is Jewish husbands and Gentiles' brides being joined. So the first couple I have is, actually, we'll come back to them. We'll stick on the subject, because if I just say their name and go on, you're going to be like, that's not a Gentile. But anyway, (laughs) Othniel and Aksa are the second couple here. And I'll go ahead and talk about them because it's the one in Judges. This this kind of rides on the idea of the Holy Spirit being an engagement ring. Okay. Like a piece of jewelry. Just keep that in mind. Okay. Keep that in your back pocket. Okay. We'll, we'll get back to jewelry in a second. Okay. <laughs> uh, Othniel and Aksa, same tribe, one origin. Daughter of the dog. That's, like I said, it's a picture of Jewish husbands, Gentile brides. So, Judges 1, 11. 
from there they went against the inhabitants of Debir. The name of Debir was formerly Kiriasefer. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kiriasefer and captures it, I will give him Aksa, my daughter, for a wife. And Othniel, the son of Kanaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it, and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, for a wife. So, back in the time when I was uh, listening to some teachers on the radio who were always like, you got to look up what names mean. <laughs> Why do you yeah, think yeah. so, right? Debir uh, actually has a couple different layers to it, but Debar is the, or it's a regular verb and noun, depending on how you change the vowels. It's a regular verb and noun for to speak or talk or a word as a noun. It also means sanctuary. Debar, if you add a yod in there, and it's funny, I guess, if you think about it, if you add yod, which is the 10th letter into speak, 10 is the number of the law, and you get the word or the concept of sanctuary. (laughs) The Holy of Holies was called a debir. So it comes from the word to speak. It's where God said his name would reside. His name is going to reside where he tells the, uh, Israel to stop and this is where it is. Right. He's going to speak to them and say this is where the Holy of Holies is going to be. So in Debir, it was formerly called Kiryat Sefer. Kiryat means city. So uh, Judas Iscariot, Ish is man. He is a city boy. He's a city man. <laughs> Ish Kiryat. Kiryat Sefer. Sefer means uh, a roll or scroll or a book. Okay. Before we had books, like we think of books, they were scrolls, but it's the same thing, a sefer. Right. So Kira Sefer was the town or the city of the book. If there is ever a place that is the book or the city of the book, what will that place be? And we're talking about the Bible. All right. That's Jerusalem. This, is, this place is not Jerusalem. It is a picture type of Jerusalem. It's the only place in the Bible I know if you're going to take picture type analogy or, or interpretation the only place I know you're going to find it in a picture type of Jerusalem usually it's picture types of Messiah right? and picture types of sacrifice and that kind of stuff but Debir which is the sanctuary which was formerly known as Kiyosefir which is a picture of the town of the book or Jerusalem Caleb stands up there and says hey I need a victory here Caleb means dog which is what Jews call us. Right. Okay. Caleb stands up. The dog stands up and says, there's a victory that needs to be won at Kiryat Sefer. There's a victory that needs to be won at Jerusalem. The dog needs it done. And the dog says, I'll give you a bride from my, my own family, meaning that the Gentile, the dog, is going yeah. to give up a bride, his daughter, to a Jewish, to a Jewish right. victory guy. Or Victor. Right. (laughs) Victory guy. (laughs) But who who stands up and takes the challenge and does it is the funny thing. Othniel means lion of God. Uh, Yeah, lion of God. He's the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. Caleb is from the tribe of Judah, which Hmm. means his younger brother is, which means that Othniel is. Othniel is the lion of God from the tribe of Judah. (laughs) He's the lion of Judah. (laughs) The lion of Judah goes to the sanctuary in the town of the book, wins a victory there and receives from the dog, from the Gentiles, a bride. Her name is Aksa, which I always thought was the most 
irrelevant part of the whole story <laughs> until this morning when I was studying this. Aksa means uh, anklet. It comes from a verb which means to clink, like a little clinking mm-hmm. sound of a piece of jewelry. Like an anklet, like an ankle bracelet it's almost? A, yeah, it's just an ankle bracelet. <clears throat> and I always thought, well, she doesn't do anything. She's just she's just a pretty little prize. <laughs> and that's kind of what the church is in God's eyes, that the line of God comes down and wins a victory in Jerusalem. He opens the way to the sanctuary and takes a bride from the Gentiles, and she's just pretty. <laughs> but... Remember the jewelry. Mm-hmm. Take it out of my back pocket. This is take it out of your back pocket <laughs> and slap it on top of the story like a flipped coin. <laughs> and that's where I was thinking this morning, this is kind of the, the where the, the picture of the Holy Spirit comes into this story right here. She is the bride. She probably, yeah, and she probably is a pretty little anklet. She probably is a pretty little piece of jewelry in a way. Kind of like uh, Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel. I mean, God, and we've talked this before. We've, we've given dating advice here before on <laughs> Two Spies. <laughs> if you want to find a woman who's truly beautiful, you find one that belongs to God. <laughs> right. And pursue that one. Because he has something that he puts inside of people that makes them shine different and look different outwardly. Yeah. Right. But uh, I was just looking this morning thinking the uh, arras from the Spanish translation, the, the wedding gift, which is the arabon, in Ephesians 1, that is the down payment, the Holy Spirit being the ring, this piece of pretty jewelry. It's a very small piece of God we're receiving now. That's kind of where I see her filling that gap in also in, in the picture type huh. of this whole story. Huh. Uh, either way, going back to the first Jewish husband and Gentile bride picture, there's, there's, some, there's an odd verse, and we'll get to it. Because I just now talked about they're from the same tribe, one origin. Well, this first couple right here is also from the same tribe, one origin. But in a sense, it's still a Jewish man in this line of Abraham and a Gentile woman, Isaac and Rebekah. Rebekah was not a descendant of Abraham, but she was within the family of Abraham. So the church is a bride, Gentile brides in the Bible is the, the main little key here. With Isaac and Rebekah, we discuss the matter of where the bride comes from. The bride of the Lamb is a Gentile bride. The bride of the Lamb of God is basically a Gentile bride. Yes, there are Jewish believers within the church. Sure. For the most part, it has really become, especially in these last days, it's mostly Gentile, 90% Gentile, as opposed to Messianic believers. Yeah. Um. But we had this whole picture in that story back in Genesis of Abraham sends Eliezer, who's unnamed in that, that part of the story, right. to get a bride for his son. God sent, or the father sends his messenger to go get a bride for his son. Brings back Rebecca, and she marries the son. But the funny thing here is that I was talking about the verse that really kind of strikes me, has always struck me odd. Hebrews 2.11, he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. Have you ever noticed that verse? Uh-uh. Let's go Never. look at it in context a little bit because I just let you see how it falls. And I've always looked at it and thought, that's so odd. <clears throat> Wait a minute, Mark. Is reaching for a paper Bible. <laughs> <laughs> they have those. I notice you're using a Mac now, though. It's five dollars. 
It's easy for my notes. That's good. So, so we'll start about verse ten. Um, it was fitting that he, for whom and by all thing by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies, and he and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, and I will sing your praise. And again, I'll put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. So this is talking about Jesus being a sacrifice, going through suffering to perfect our salvation. He's the founder of our salvation. In the middle of all that context, he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. What do you think that means? See, for he, Jesus... Yeah, you really got to follow pronouns in this yeah, whole big for thing. For he, Jesus, who sanctifies, and those who are sanctified, which would be us, all have one source. God? Yeah. I mean... It's just it's just an odd verse. And I, I noticed when I was a brand new Christian, I was reading through this and thinking, that is strange that we come from the same thing he comes from, hmm. then he comes and sanctifies us. Anyway, when I was looking at this whole subject matter and come across Isaac and Rebecca, it's kind of like a picture of the Son of God and the Church of God, and they both have the same origin in a hmm. way. But in her in her marrying him, that brings her into the promise. So in a sense, he who sanctifies and she who is sanctified both have one origin. Yeah, I was thinking about the one origin. So one thing every person has in common is we're alive because of the breath of God. Mm-hmm. And so we all <clears throat> come from the word of God or the breath of God, um, Jesus being the word. And yeah. the only way we can reunited to God is through his word back to the original state that you know I don't know I'm just talking off the top of my head oh uh, okay <laughs> what are we talking about <laughs> yeah I got you yeah I don't know where I was going with that but <laughs> it was just flowing out of me I was like there's something keep talking Mark keep talking it'll, it'll come out and it didn't come out so well it's one of those things you can just say it and it's if you think about it, it gets bigger and bigger, but you can't really say it any bigger. It just is. Yeah. That we yeah. come from God, we that's our source, and then he comes. He sends one from himself who is himself to get us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, next couple. This actually is a Gentile bride. Uh, this is one of the greatest love stories in the Bible. Ruth and Boaz. Mm. Um. Let's see. She's an actual bride, it, and most of you who are listening have heard something or read read the the little book of Ruth at least once. If you haven't, it's four <laughs> right. chapters. Yeah, it's small. Turn this off and read that instead. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know how many times have you read Ruth? Several. I mean, and there's always like, oh man, again. Yeah. In that. Yeah. It's full of a whole lot of... Of course, if you read commentaries on... And I'll say a good commentary, because I've had good commentaries I've read about it which say, the Jews think this interpretation. The church thinks this interpretation. This is probably the actual historical of it. So they give you all rounded sides of it. But the funny thing is it applies in all those 
It doesn't conflict with any of them at all. But the application that the Jews take of it, is, it fits fine. The application that the church takes out of it, it fits fine. Huh. Um, she's an actual Gentile bride. He's a kinsman redeemer. Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. This is the book kind of where I learned some of the interesting legalities in the Bible. Because I've, I've talked to you about that before about the basic gist of the whole Bible is uh, bride and land. Right. And God uh, gave the bride, that being mankind, the land, and we gave it away. We messed up our relationship with him, our standing with him, so he's got to redeem us. We messed up our standing with the land, so he's got to redeem it. But this is one thing right here because it's in the law too. So this is what they're going by to do that in the book of Ruth. But the kinsman redeemer steps up and on uh, two separate transactions basically takes care of the bride issue and the land issue. But uh, let's see. This family with a Gentile bride includes it is included in the genealogy of Messiah. Mm-hmm. That's always good. <laughs> we're we're safe. We're safe for another year. <laughs> for another year? I don't know. <laughs> well, I guess uh, just making the point of uh, Gentile brides is something that seems to ride e- even in, or, or whether in picture type or in reality, it rides throughout the Old Testament. It was already laid down before the church was established in prime, you know, us majority Gentile. Group right became that's a really bad grammar coming out of my mouth. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> it all good, man. It all good, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I always wondered though if uh, the the culture who started adding yo on the end was you know they stole that from Koreans. Do they do that? That's a common polite verb ending. Hmm. I should say. <laughs> I should tell your wife, hey yo. <laughs> What's going on, yo? What's going on, yo? She would think you're being respectful, maybe. Hey, all right. Cool. <laughs> hey, all right, yo. I'm hungry, you, yo. You literally you literally have to end every single verb with yo. That's the most polite ending in modern Koreans. Hmm. Hmm, yo. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. <clears throat> so, Aaron and Elisheba. So, we, we, we stay with, uh, we stay with uh, husband and wife. For a minute, we'll come back to them in a second, but we'll talk about Aaron and Elisha for a moment because we move into around a realm of kings and priests joined as one. Right. You have anything interject right here? No, you're good. Let's take a pause and think about. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a pause and thank you for our sponsors. <laughs> Buy our gum, Two Spice Gum. It's really good. <laughs> the flavor doesn't last long at all, so you can keep buying more. Because that's what gum's designed to be, right? <laughs> okay, back to our podcast. Yo. <laughs> yo. Just right, yo. Uh, Aaron uh, and Elisheba. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's see. Marriage is actually, and this is one thing I was, I, I guess bringing in also from Ephesians, I tell my wife this morning that, yeah, it's for us to enjoy. But when you look through Ephesians and you get some of the concepts there, it's almost like it's not really just for us. It's God's way of saying, my most strong intention, my most intimate relationship intention with you is like this. And he lays out marriage. But hmm. he does some things throughout the Bible with marriage that are really huge picture types of 
relationship that he wants to show us. So looking at uh, Aaron and Levi, Aaron is the first priest, or first, excuse me, the first high priest of the Mosaic Covenant ever, and he married a girl from Judah. So <clears throat> Aaron is from Levi. That's where priests come from. Kings always come from Judah. His wife was Elisheba, who was the sister of Nashon, who was the son of Amenadab, son of Ram, son of Hezron, son of Perez, son of Judah. So why is this not? I don't know why this is never taught in the church. Kings and priests being married together because we always talk about that we are a kingdom of priests or a priesthood with right. it on thrones. Hmm. But uh, we do kind of look at that when we look back at Melchizedek. Uh, he was a king of Salem. He was a priest of God Most High. But being a king and a priest together, and you know the whole book of Hebrews basically lays him out and explains everything about him. <laughs> yeah. uh, no beginning, no end. No father, no mother. No death. Right. He's So he's eternally king and eternally priest in that way. But uh, So the offices are together. The offices of king and the offices of priest are together until they're split by God. And basically, you see little picture types like Aaron and Elisheba throughout. But then, let's see. Because we talked about this before, too, that Jesus fulfills the necessary lineage for Judah mm -hmm. to be a son of David. Right. But we never talk about who his mom was. So his tie to what other tribe? His mom's cousin is who? Elizabeth. Yeah, Elizabeth's husband is who? <laughs> you know it, Zechariah. Yeah. Zechariah is what? What's his job? He's a priest. Yeah. How does he get to be a priest? Lineage of Aaron. Right. So... A lineage of Aaron has a wife who has a cousin who bears the Messiah. Is he not related to Levi? Hmm. Office of king and office yeah. of priest are put back together in Jesus. They split. They were together in Melchizedek. They're split right. down Levi and Judah until Jesus comes. They're put back together. Hmm. But we, for, I don't know. I saw this one day. I thought, why? I don't ever hear a preacher talk about this. I think it seems like such a background detail when you reread it. I could be completely wrong. Maybe Mary is not. <laughs> but this is her cousin related yeah. to... Maybe her cousin was a girl from Judah, and it's another... If her cousin... Uh, what was her name again? Elizabeth. <laughs> if her cousin Elizabeth was from Judah, if both her parents were from Judah, then this is simply another picture of a Aaron or a Levite priest marrying a girl from Judah. Still carrying the same picture, anyway, all over the place. But uh, you're just basically saying that there's a point where it was together in Melchizedek, and then God split it, and then the only one that fulfills both roles is Jesus, and He fulfills both roles through the lineage, through the proper channels, etc. Plus His indestructible <clears throat> life, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Other place we find, and I kind of move on here from here to go to the offices. The offices of king and priest. We're talking about the kings and priests being put together. The offices being put together. Right. Zechariah 6. 
We find the Lord telling Zechariah to take gold and silver from those who had come out of Babylon from out of the world. And, and taking it along with uh, what's being written here in Zechariah with picture type. Because Ze- Zechariah is like an Old Testament small revelation. So it's got a, a lot of symbolism, etc. in it. Silver and gold. Uh, gold is the metal of royalty. Sim- uh, silver is the metal of redemption. You put those two things together and make a crown. Royalty, redemption. Who carries out the work of royalty? Kings. Who carries out the work of redemption? Priest. A priest. Priests are the go-betweens. They bring God to the people and they bring people to God. Right. They show God to the people when they can't find him or comprehend him or understand him. And then they, they present man to God also for all their sacrifices and all this, all stuff in the system to bring redemption to them. So take silver and gold, take <laughs> kings and priests and mix them together and make a single crown. <laughs> uh, let's see, crowns are for rulers and kings commonly, but we see that Zechariah is told to place the, the crown on the head of Joshua, the high priest. Make a crown and put it on the high priest. Huh. Let's see... Crown a priest. He, uh, whoever he is, because let's see. Let me turn to Zechariah instead of reading my notes, because I think I. See, why why would a priest need a crown? To be a king. (laughs) (laughs) Not trying to be smart, but no. Well, I mean, you. I guess because we were phrasing it, um, a king becoming a priest or a king becoming a priest, etc. But a priest becoming a king is almost like the opposite order. That's why I asked, why would a priest, you know, because it's going backwards, am I thinking? Uh, are you seeing one, usually of, one the, above the other, though? Because usually it's a king ruling the nation, and then he has a priest that is the in-between to God and the king. And so you, you rarely do you have a priest being the ruler and the mediator at the same time. But are you seeing one office above the other office? Hmm... Is there a hierarchy there? I don't know. Because, well, the king deals with the people, but the priest really deals with God. Yeah. And, and basically, the priest is the, you know, I take the message from God to the king, and it's the king's job to exercise his authority to the people. So, yeah. I guess I guess they kind of work. They have different functions, but they're pretty much the same authority, I guess. Yeah. But one doesn't overstep the bounds of the other. Like the king, well... Yeah, they're still supposed to be separate. They're still supposed I to be mean, separate, yeah. Obviously, we see the king sometimes, I can't remember his name, but the king going to the temple. Yeah, and he kings. offered incense and yeah. got uh, leprosy. Yeah, yeah. So there's obviously distinctions that were, they're not supposed to cross. One of those bad kings. We don't have to know his name. <laughs> there's plenty of them in there. Just uh, pick a name. <laughs> So reading from Zechariah 6 instead of trying to read my notes there because I was thinking, I think I edited that down too wrong and it sounds odd. Um, it comes out on its own. <laughs> Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place and he shall build a temple to, of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear a royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. So the branch is going to, rule on a throne and have royal honor and there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both huh. the branch 
as you study this out, the branch is the same as the root of Jesse. The branch of Jesse or the fruit of the root is Jesus. It's the Messiah. We, we did talk about this last time, I believe, or two times ago. And I've also done some devotions about it recently. But uh, whoever this is who's going to bear royal honor and sit on a throne and has this crown on his head is also a priest. There is a priest sitting on them. You can look at it as two people sitting on the throne, I guess. I just don't see it that way when I'm reading it. It looks to me like a person who is this, and he turns right around and refers to that person as being that. Yeah. It's the same person, but uh, if that's what it is, if that interpretation is correct, this verse ends with, this verse 13 ends with, the counsel of peace shall be between them both. That being, to me, both offices, the office of king and priest shall come together in this one person. There will be peace between those two offices, those two lineages. Yeah. But that comes together in the branch. Makes sense. Makes sense. I hope it's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you, you figure, I mean, Jesus is our mediator, as Hebrew says. Yeah. And, you know, he's the only, he's, I mean, we pray in Jesus' name, it's his name that has that authority as well. Yeah. God has given him all authority. So, kind of hard to argue that he has the double position of the king and the priest yeah next one was a great high priest or do you have anything about kings and priests there go ahead the great high priest jesus is our great high priest this is something we find out of hebrews the bible calls us to be king priest also his life as an example showed us in submission and humility how to be servants and how to act out being a priest this is something when I was looking at this I found interesting. He has not literally yet shown us how to sit on the throne. We have not seen him come down, establish the throne of David in Jerusalem, which is what some of the things that the end of Zechariah talks about. We have not seen him establish that kingdom and sit on the throne. The whole world has not come there to celebrate the Feast of Booths yet. He has shown us, and I guess we're getting in first and second comings. He has shown us how to be a servant and a mediator between God and man. Yeah. He has shown us how to be a priest. And we got these little bracelets we carry around WWJD. Or you got on the back of your car as a sticker or something. <laughs> what yeah. would Jesus do? He would be a priest. And too many... <laughs> I'm not sure what all I'm hitting on here. I hope I'm stepping on toes just right. But we got too many Christians who claim the child of God thing. I'm a child of the king. Yeah, you are, but he hasn't shown you how to be a king yet. He hasn't shown you how to sit on a throne. And he hasn't given you a throne yet. Yeah. He hasn't given me a throne. I shouldn't act like I'm a king. I should act like I'm a servant and a priest, a go-between between God and man. He has shown me how to do that. I've already seen that. Yeah. So, huh. just to, I, I guess you'd call another division, <laughs> dividing those two things again, and at least in time, a timeline. Right. He has shown me already one of them. He hasn't shown me how to do the other one yet. I mean, Jesus fulfilled both of them, but hasn't revealed the completion to us yet. Right. I mean, Jesus fulfilled the covenant between man and God, but we haven't seen the final stages yet as yeah. far as what Jesus and God have seen as far as... And those Christians who will be given a throne to sit on, uh, Revelation 20, that does not say every single Christian will get that. 
that says those who have been given authority. Those could be somebody else besides me. Yeah. <laughs> Just whatever God wants to do with that. So, <laughs> but do you think that fits anywhere in the church as far as so Israel? <clears throat> going back and forth between the Old Testament and New Testament. Um, so Israel had the king priest. It was the king, you know, The we, we talked about how the people wanted a king. Mm-hmm. God gave him a king. Um, but he also rose, raised, rose up a priest to be the mediator to make sure the king does right and make sure the people are um, trying to stick to the things. And obviously they, they venture out. Then Jesus comes, fulfills both offices. And then when the Holy Spirit comes, um, you know, this church now is given, we call fourfold or fivefold, however you, however you interpret it, apostles, evangelists, yeah. um, pastor, uh, teacher, whatever. Yeah. Um, would you, how would you see, so you have the, the Old Testament as the priest king, the New Testament as the apostle, evangelist. Blah, blah blah. Would you see those as as like a identical mm, picture type set of cross? Yeah. yeah. We'll examine what's the you know, a pastor's a shepherd taking care of the people. That kind of falls in priest. Priest. Um, you have an apostle <clears throat> who who well, depending on who you ask, <laughs> I don't want to get into an argument. Um, but really, an apostle was was there to establish grounds um, of of the initiation of the church. Well, he of, still falls in priest, not in kings. He's, yeah, he's yeah, supposed to yeah, be sent right. out to you're bring right. God to the people and establish. I read in your you're notes right. the phrase "many churches." <clears throat> yeah, I like that. He's supposed to go out and establish many churches of the. The church. Yeah, many as in not M-A-N-Y, but M-I-N-I. She's supposed Small. to go out and establish many, many ones. <laughs> well, there you go. I like that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you're right. I mean, now I'm thinking about all the th- the evangelists, etc. They all are in the priestly realm, yeah. so to speak, not as the authority, because our authority is... We don't have authority. We're not in a king I do not personally position. have authority. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. When yeah. he puts me in authority... He does put us in authority positions in the world, but I have not been giving some, uh, given some uh, title or position that I hold for good that is a ruling position. For the most part, what we have been told to do, all his instructions go to the world, and all the offices of the Holy Spirit, they all fall in priest. And I guess that you're just, you're just basically reiterating and compounding, confirming for me what I was just now saying that he has shown us how to be a priest. He hasn't shown us how to be a king yet. Man, this, yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, into the bride and bridegroom, which I know we're kind of revisiting, but this kind of goes along with what uh, a question you were going to ask a moment ago. Yeah, you can go ahead and ask it. Or wait. Uh, go ahead and ask it. Okay. The question. We're back with the question. <laughs> Bring if you that waited. other thing out of your back pocket. <laughs> so uh, there's a double- slap it down on the table like a flipped coin. <laughs> I'm gonna start using that. <laughs> Put a little soundtrack soundtrack in there. Um, there's a, a double illustration that Bible presents us as far as the church goes. Um, you know, David's already mentioned the bride. 
um, dealing with the marriage illustration. Um, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, Lager Wise is Christ of the church and gave himself for her, a spotless bride, etc. But Paul also uses illustra- the illustration of um, we are the body of Christ. Um, there's many members, but one body. And that we're technically the body of Christ, his body to the world. So yeah. how would you how would you explain the double illustration of are we Jesus's body on earth or are we his bride on earth? Yes. <laughs> I knew you knew that was coming. I, I had a feeling you're gonna say yes or both and <laughs> uh, This is what I found this morning. I was looking this over a little bit better again. That I thought was kind of neat. Um, first mention of the New Testament uh, of a bride and a bride and groom is by John the Baptizer speaking about Jesus. So he's uh, John the Apostle is writing the, his gospel and and quotes John the Baptist Baptizer as these words immediately are attached to Jesus. That's the you know we always take the, the the rule of first mention. Right. The rule of first mention sets a real state of interpretation for that word of the rest of Scripture. So this first attached to Jesus. Um, what when you text me that question last week, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, huh, that's got to be this Ephesians five twenty five. I was using some other stuff from Ephesians five anyway. So to kind of read it all in context. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Amen. <laughs> All right. I'm, like, I'm just waiting for you to get there. Okay. Uh, yeah. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and him and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Uh I just noticed when I was reading this this morning, though, the divisions here. There's instruction to wife, and then there's a statement about husband. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husband is, this was a statement of what the husband is. Husband is the head of the wife, but it's likening, likening it across to Christ as the head of the church. And then calls the church his body. Mm-hmm. It's his hands and feet on earth, et cetera, et cetera. Right. It's also his bride. In that it's a picture for how us or how we should love our wives. So as Christ loved the church, this goes in the next one, the two. (laughs) Uh, Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, as also means how. However, how the church submits to Christ. Now we got Mm -hmm. plenty of people listening to us who may have different, more modern opinions, I'll call it. Um. And I don't really disagree with it much. I can save my personal experience with it. I haven't liked the particular ones, but the church is commonly ran by men. Mm-hmm. I have there's the particular women I have run into there uh, that are pastors. There, most of them I didn't care much for. There is one I could name off the top of my head right now in Costa Rica, who is a humble, wise, warm-hearted woman she's made to be a pastor and she's the pastor there at that church um but either way as the church submits to christ however the church is submitting to christ Mm -hmm. wives should submit to their husbands if the church is commonly run by men and we're not really seeing the church submit to christ 
as the, it was intended, that could be the reason that wives don't commonly submit their husbands. Huh. They're not seeing an example of it. That, that's a good point. Just a little side rant on the, the edge there. <laughs> <laughs> you can take it how you want to take it. It's not really. It's not against men. It's not against women. It's not against the church. It's just things aren't running like they should run. And there's right here is instruction to say, as you see this done this way, so you do it too. <laughs> Which means if you don't see it done, you really can't do it. Yeah. But going on, uh, verse 25. See, so we had instruction to the wife and then a statement about the husband, 22 and 23. Here we have instruction to the husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So we kind of have a statement here about her. All right. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Think about that. I told uh, Pastor Jimmy recently in Jacob's wedding. Uh-huh. Uh, I told him the following Sunday morning, I really appreciated hearing what you had to say. For the, in the wedding sermon and I looked up there also and uh, there's Jacob and his new bride and they're all giggly young and yeah. stupid and <laughs> I don't mean that mean I mean that as in young and ignorant of what's going to come in the world and Get trials ready. of marriage and trials of life but the great thing is they're both believers and they both have each other now life is going to be good for them but they're both standing up there in ignorance of what's going to happen with what we call life. I sit out here in the congregation after a second marriage, seven years in the first one. I saw what I did wrong, what I did to destroy it. Get saved, look for another wife. I know I'm looking for one now that loves God, who is a believer in Jesus and been married to her for 11 years and see what still goes on. We're still people, right? And I'm listening to his his sermon. I just told him, I said, they're standing up here all giggling and happy, but I'm listening thinking, I haven't done that. I haven't done that. I suck at that. I'm no good at that. (laughs) All these things he's naming that love is and that marriage should be about and that we should be doing as partners in a marriage with our wives. I'm just thinking, I got to get back to thinking like that. I got to get back to thinking like a new husband because I'm not doing what I should be doing every minute. I got to get back to acting like a new teenager in love kind of love. <laughs> right. Because I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> I don't know. Just listening to him during the, the wedding sermon, I just told him, I said, I just realized what I'm not good at in marriage. And he's, he's like in total agreement. It's like, None of us are, are getting it right. We're all, <laughs> we're all seeing this. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's see. Where did I stop there? Uh, verse 27 or 26. In the same way, husbands should love their wives and love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. That's there, where I there, stopped. Yeah. So if you, if you really love yourself, you'll love your wife. That can come out in multiple ways. And I, and I always hate when men joke about, oh, she's the boss. Ha, ha, ha. Whatever the boss says, I don't, I don't no. like that kind of joking. Um, I have a biblical wife. I'll say that. I do too. Yeah, I know you do, yeah. and I know how y'all's marriage works and how she acts towards you. 
I know how mine acts towards me. They both happen to be pastors' daughters too, so they have been raised to think a certain way. Right. And I think they both fulfill it, and we're both lucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Blessed by God is another way to say lucky. We're both lucky to have them as wives. But a lot of men joke about that kind of thing, and if you don't actually act towards your wife like you should, it ends up making your life hell. So he who loves himself loves his wife. If you love your wife, you love yourself. You take care of her, she'll take care of you by being a nice house. It'll be a nice, fun household, a, right. a happy household. If you actually take care of what you're supposed to take care of, the whole instruction here for the husband is to give up yourself. Yeah. If you're not selfish, like most people are, not just men, but women too, if you're not selfish like most people are, and you're giving, it will eventually take care of that other person in a way that it changes them so they become more or less selfish. And when they do that, it takes care of you so that you become less selfish. You start depending on each other and taking care of each other because you know the other person is not thinking about themselves all the time. Yeah. And like, she'll, she'll want to submit to you too. I mean, yeah, it, it'll make it a little bit easier, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I don't say that in a, you know, submit to me woman, you yeah. know, but it, you know, when, when, uh, I had some friends, um, wonder about like, they were kind of shocked with me and Kathleen and, you know, they're, you know, they would ask Kathleen, you don't rule the house, you know, as a joke. And she's like, no, he, he's, he's the head. And they were kind of confused, like, and then, you know, she let me go out with guys as long as I spent time with her and, and loved her. And she wasn't this, you know, you know, when people get married, like, oh, you can't hang out anymore. And yeah. your life is done. But my wife's not done that. She knows, you know, you need you need guy time. You need to hang out time. And, yeah. you know, so, I mean, if you treat them well, then they'll. So, yeah. So moving on from that verse, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. You will nourish and cherish and take care of, of your own flesh. You'll be in your own body. When you hurt, you'll do something to go fix it. You're sore, you're going to take a hot shower. You sprain something, you'll put ice on it. You got a headache, you're going to try to do something, take a nap or take some medicine or something, or you need some more water, but you're going to yeah. do something to try to take care of what's ailing you take care of your body i do want to say you know this is written to christians i've i've had the question i've had the question yeah. ask me um you know there's people who don't like themselves they'll say i don't like myself or they've tried to commit suicide suicide's pretty popular now unfortunately um but there's people that say you know i don't like myself i don't like this about me or whatever um but you know, so this is written really to Christians who, when God comes into your life and and really gives you peace of mind and transforms you and mm -hmm. and fixes things. So I mean, you kind of have um, this respect about your body. You want to take care of yourself. You want to yeah. do whatever. So yeah. just throwing that in there. Okay, so no one ever hates his flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. You take care of your body. Christ takes care of his body. The church is his body. He takes care of her. We're members of his body. Pretty easy there. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I haven't thought about it, but a man, husband, mm -hmm. Christ, leaves his father. Mm -hmm. 
to come be one with his bride. <laughs> uh, the one flesh thing, I guess, in the ultimate fulfillment of that is the Holy Spirit in us. Yeah. yeah. This mystery, this verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Kind of neat there that it's called a mystery, the mystery of marriage. <laughs> the, yeah. the mystery of marriage is not the unknown thing that we can't figure out, and that would be the, the female half of it. You know, that's how the common joke runs. The mystery right. of marriage is that it is revealing the profound nature of God wants intimate relationship with us. That's why I say, I was telling my wife this morning, and I've said on here, I don't think it's just for us. It is to try. He's trying his best to get on our level to explain to us the way he wants to be with us. I want to be with you like a husband and a wife. Hey, mankind, I'm God. I'm up here. I want to be with you. Right. So I'm trying to take care of you. <laughs> and in the end of this whole verse, it says, let the wife see she respects her husband. Who is the wife in the analogy? The church. That's us. Yeah. We're to respect the husband. I think it's pretty neat, though. The uh, It begins with wives submit to your husbands. It ends with wives respect your husbands. In the middle of it is the direction for the husbands to love the wife. doesn't tell the wife to love her husband. That's the easy part for her. <laughs> yeah. Respecting her, I guess that would be the easy part for the man. But he's giving instructions for what's hard for them. Wives uh, or husbands show some love to them. Yeah, yeah. Wives show some respect to them. I've tried to explain to my wife, and I just, she's done it very innocently. I mean, and I, I guess I should say in, ignorantly, unknowingly, just shown slight disrespects here and there. It's a difference in culture, really. And there's, there's things we walk away from a situation and say, what you just said there, everyone took it as an extreme, really bad disrespect. When she learns that, she's horrified that she did that. That's not what she intended to do at all. Yeah. That's never her intention from the heart is what I'm getting at. Right. But I know I was reading um, a Ravi Zacharias book, and I never, for whatever reason, never thought of it. But he, he's, he does well articulating things. But he talked about marriage, and one thing he said was um, – you know, sex is a good feeling. We like we like sex. You know, sex gives this uh, oneness that we, you know. But he but he said um, the reason why we won't have sex in heaven, and and when he talks about when dealing with marriage <laughs> and oneness, is sex is the closest thing we can get to as far as feeling um, being in the presence of God. He said that's why God made it strictly for one man, one woman to be in this closed union because it's meant to be shared between these two people. It's so intimate. It's so, I mean, it's pleasure, blah, blah, blah. But God designed it that way. And um, so that's what, you know, I don't want to say that's what heaven's going to feel like 24-7. But he said that's the closest feeling we can get on earth to being in God's presence. Yeah. So, um, but... I wish you were going to say it was going to be like that 24-7, though. <laughs> well, we don't know. Um, but uh, so um, I'm not grasping verses 30 through thirty and 31. Uh, may, may, maybe. So verse 30, because we are members of his body, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're Jesus' body to the world. 
and then it goes right in back to the marriage um eventually his father and mother blah blah, blah. um in other words relating that to the fact that jesus left his father and is going to become one with the church with his bride yeah um i, I still you know so we're members of his body, but we're also his bride. We're like, we are Jesus, but we're going to be married to Jesus. Um, I'm not sure I'm understanding the... It looks like, to me, though, the jump right there is... Okay, so putting that uh, members of the body back into the sentence, it comes from verse 29. 29, right. For no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, comma, because we are members of his body. So the whole analogy has been taken that we are uh, the body of Christ, but... He's going to take care of us because we're his body. And right. He's going to take care of us because his body and husbands, or everyone has always loved their own flesh. They take care of their own flesh. You're hungry, you go eat something, etc. So you take care of it. We are members of that. So we're how members. are we the bride and members and his well, body? Well, the whole I analogy guess. there is being built on the husband and the wife becoming one flesh. Okay. So what is marriage? Basically, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Hold fast is a physical get close thing, right? right? And hold fast to her, meaning like a strong hug that lasts 60 years. That's That should be marriage. And the two shall become one flesh. What does that mean, shall become one flesh? It's mixing and putting together of flesh. Gotcha. Okay, it is, well, that makes sense. Right, it's putting it right down into uh, a complete one sexual union. Yeah. Yeah, and that becoming one. But like you just said, and you're quoting from Ravi, that that's that the action of, or the event of sex between a man and a woman is a picture that God has given us to try to explain to us what it's going to be like in his presence. And what he actually desires for us is that relationship being that close and intimate. That makes sense, yeah. I don't see a conflict. I just think it's two different pictures that are the kind of picture when you, you look at one of them, it's like, Oh, okay, you look at the other one, same thing. You start putting them both together and thinking, like you're like you're asking, how can we be the body of Christ and the bride of Christ? And you start looking at what marriage is. So again, this mystery is profound. I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. He's saying that the whole mystery of marriage is there to refer to Christ and the church. He's not taking Christ and the church and layering it over what marriage is. Just gotcha. one direction there on the analogy, not the other direction. Gotcha. That's the best I can say. <laughs> well, that makes sense. <laughs> I just I just needed to talk it through and, and hear it yeah. um, a little bit differently put, I guess, um, so it makes more sense. Well, uh, a very, very young, young man was, and I've talked about him before here in this particular conversation even. He was telling me about uh, he was having sex with his girlfriend. They both knew it was wrong because looking at the Bible, and he, he had used uh, the example of Isaac and Rebecca. What happens at the marriage ceremony of Isaac and Rebecca? I don't know what you're talking about. There's no ceremony. She goes in his tent and they have sex so they're oh, married. Oh, gotcha. Right. That's what I'm getting at. What means marriage is done? What means it is established, I should say? Sex. Sex. So you marry a woman, you never have sex with her. You go to court and say, I want an annulment. 
the world looks at that kind of funny, but in a sense, the if it's never been because the terminology is going to be used, it's never been consummated. Sure, consummated means there's never been actually physical sex. It's never happened. So that's biblical that they are not actually married. So he's asking him to get out of the contract of the land. Yeah, that being a piece of paper in the law, because they haven't done it in flesh yet. Right, and God, God doesn't see it as a paper technically, or yeah, He sees the action. Yeah, yeah. So all you people who, uh, never mind, we're not going to go into that. <laughs> That's another talk. You know what? When we get, when we get to Ephesians, we can get into all that, even though we technically kind of did a mini study of Ephesians. Ephesians. It feels like, um, you know, there, there's plenty of things we can kind of address with all that, but we probably shouldn't. Because we're talking about the church. <laughs> and for some reason, we've been talking about sex for like 15 minutes or, I don't know. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, really, in a nutshell, we're, we're, you know, the church has its, the church as an organization has its issues. Um, you know, I think we've talked about denominations and, and, and mm-hmm. it's made up of people, imperfect people. <laughs> Unfortunately, and um, they keep know. coming back too every Sunday. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'll be here next Sunday. Come on, come on, come on I'll over. be here too. Might <laughs> might say a few cuss words that someone cut me off or flick them off before church service. <laughs> on the way, sir. Walking with a smile on my face after I just, you know, anyway. Um, but we'll probably argue on the way to church. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't, right? Um, Who doesn't? <laughs> we all do it, you know. Um, but. Uh, where was I going? I don't even know what I was doing. Oh, so we're you trying know. to get out the subject matter of sex. Yes, oh, sex is bad <laughs> unless you're married. Then have it as much as you want to. Um, be fruitful, multiply. Be fruitful, multiply. Um, but you know, the church has its issues, and there's been people that have uh, spoken against the organization or spoken that the church isn't replacing Israel, etc. So hopefully, we kind of laid it all out there that we're not against the church we're for the church we're for the organization even though it has its issues jesus this is god's plan there is no plan b this is his a plan um man i really wish b is to bring us back to plan a again remember that now i really wish we had time to deal with predestination but that's probably going to be just another topic because anyway we can talk about that to explain joseph can we yeah, we're going to be when we finish with the church. Oh, we're know. going back to Joseph. I know we're starting with Joseph. So um, there's a lot of interesting ideas that I have for predestination um, that I kind of examined. That um, well, we'll just leave it there. Anyway, yeah. so uh, you know, don't be angry about the church, even though it may have made you mad, and um, you know, or it's still making you mad. Maybe it's still making <laughs> you mad. Yeah. So <laughs> so so keep looking for a group or, or a church that. Um, you know, I guess fits or where you fit, where you're, where you're growing, where you're being equipped, yeah, um, etc. So, but after all that, there is the wedding supper of the Lamb. I was gonna move the wedding supper of the Lamb and the yeah. final state of man. Yeah, that's that's good. And that didn't intentionally rhyme, but that sounded good. <laughs> He's a poet. Didn't know it. So, yo. so yo. Towards the end, that being number one of time, number two of the Bible, number three of Revelation, toward the end, we see the completion of the judgment of the world system that has persecuted the church. As our duty has been to present Christ to the world, the world has reacted in the same way to the church that it did to Christ. Hatred. Mm -hmm. So, Revelation 19, 
just reading through Revelation 18, kind of in preparation, is the fall of Babylon, the whole system, everybody involved with it, all the things that are bought and sold. Uh, we've kind of discussed that a little bit, the, the world city being the one city. But that whole system of that city has fallen. And all the merchants of that city sit far off and cry and wail because they see that it's ruined. But then chapter 19 comes. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her... It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Verse 10, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If you're reading along, you see I skipped some phrases here and there, but that's the whole main deal. This wedding supper may be the first time we are really supposed to be at rest. I was talking to my niece today. The day was her birthday, June 21st. And she was calling to say, are you coming to eat with us at Logan's Roadhouse? I don't like Logan's Roadhouse. This is not an unplug for Logan's Roadhouse. It's just, <laughs> I don't, when you go to a steakhouse, I usually don't get steak that I like as good as when I cook it at my own grill. Yeah. So. <laughs> Sp- way. Sponsorship, David Steaks. <laughs> not now Logan's. We're, now we're from our sponsor. <laughs> Buy our gum. Buy our steaks. Two spice steaks. Get you one. Okay, so we're back from our commercial break. <laughs> but I, I guess I'm always saying, I was just telling her, uh, uh, I don't know, that's got nothing to do with steaks. But I was just telling her about resting. Because uh, we got, the conversation led there. It doesn't sound natural, but it was natural. <laughs> so uh, about resting, we don't really ever get a chance to rest. Not, there's no instruction in the Bible to rest. There's a Sabbath, yes. Right. But there's no retirement where you just quit doing anything and you sit at home in your chair. I mean, almost like if you look, if you picture the American dream is to buy a house in the middle of the woods overlooking a lake. And fix it up so it's really nice and big and air-conditioned with cushy beds and a screened-in port so mosquitoes can't bite you. And you go out every morning when the sun's coming up and fog's on the lake. I'm trying to paint you a picture here, right? (laughs) You go out there with your devotional book and your coffee because you can't do devotional without coffee. (laughs) And you look out over the lake and there goes the... uh, the herring that lives around your lake. He's flying by through the fog and the sunlight is busting through it and you're protected by your screened in port so mosquitoes are not ruining your life because you're retired. And you take a puff of your pipe (laughs) because you can do that because you're retired. (laughs) Yeah. Pipe, Bible, coffee, no mosquitoes, and a lake view. And you sit there until you die because that's the retired life. Right? Mm -hmm. There is no instruction in the Bible that we come to save so much that we can pay for ourselves for the rest of our time here until our body gives up and we die. There's more instruction to give and to let go of everything. And (laughs) and when we get to the way supper of the Lamb, there we are supposed to have fun and rest. There's no more work to do. There's no more evangelism then. Because right. most of our money should be going towards evangelism. Most of our going out the door should be going towards evangelism. Most of our, our work with our hands and feet should be going out to evangelism. 
Because it's the one job that we won't be able to do in heaven, technically. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the last, it's the only thing you can do here that matters about heaven. You know, when you're writing your devotions and you come across, as you're writing with your hands, something comes out that you didn't think yourself. And you know you didn't think it. It just led to that. But I was uh, checking my mail this morning. I saw one that I had just put in. And it said, uh, the only things that, Matt, what was the wording of it? That was a bad intro to something I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) And now another word from our sponsor. (laughs) From memory loss? Time worthy. Two spies, memory. Yeah, the one I just now did that was time worthy. Only what will last beyond time is worth our time. That's God and people and our relationships with both of them. That's what's time worthy. Do other things. I'm really into wood now. I love woodworking. That's not cheap. It takes money to do that. Or you're constantly begging people for a log in their yard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, uh, while we're on the subject of logs in the yard... Let me give you this. Okay. Have you ever heard the, the story that likens all the, it contains a symbolism about Jesus on the cross in the dogwood? Mm-mm. You know what a dogwood flower looks like? Uh, just to tell you, look it up right quick and you'll see what I'm talking about. You talk while I'm doing this. So a dogwood flower has four petals. They're white. They're kind of heart-shaped. And in the middle, on the ends of each one, there's a, what we call a nail hole. This is, this is the story my mom has told me since I was a kid. There's a nail hole, and you can see it's kind of red around the nail hole on the end of each petal. In the middle, that's that little place that usually in the flower is very uh, soft because it's the stamen and the, what, is it, what do they call it, the pistils? Either way, they're usually where all the pollen, etc. takes place, very soft area. On a dogwood, it's, it's basically a crown of thorns. It's a very hard, pokey little thing hmm. in the middle. So that's kind of the picture that my mom's told me my entire life that the dogwood uh, contains. Plus, dogwood supposedly used to be very big, but the Romans used them so often they killed the population down because they used them for crucifixion. Huh. And, supp- and that's, that's something you can't prove, but it's a it's a good little symbolism right. for the story. Right. And that they used those, those big, strong dogwoods to crucify Jesus, so God made them small from then on out so they can't be used for that kind of thing. Uh, uh, cute story for a kid, right? Right. Okay, so I have been like uh, at my work. You you always going. You're trying to get into a phone box on the side of the road. Nobody's taking care of that. Usually, it's all grown up. You usually have to dig or or machete your way into it to get near it. Take the lid off to do any work. I'm down in front of one one day. I had to climb over this little fence, etc. There's this dogwood that's engulfing it, so it's all over me. So I kind of had to break some of the limbs back. I break one of the limbs back that's right beside my head. And in a minute or two, I look over and notice it is running like a spigot, just dripping clear water. Huh. And uh, that's, of course, the sap of the dogwood. But I just thought, huh, it, we say a tree bleeds, right? Yep. Usually it bleeds sap, and sap is usually pretty sticky. Plastics and maple syrup both come from tree sap. <laughs> but... uh Either way, this thing is just running water. So and it's bleeding water. So all that symbolism together with the dogwood and, huh. and Christ. 
and it being kind of containing all the symbols of his crucifixion. Uh, I cut down this dogwood in my backyard this week. The base of it is probably probably about a foot across in diameter. It's a pretty good size thing. It's got it's had ants in it and it's been slowly dying. So I went ahead and cut it down to try to save some of the wood because out of all the speaking of woodworking and getting people's logs out of their yard, <laughs> that's what I'm that's what this came this came from. <laughs> but uh, I took it and kind of cleaned it up a little bit. I started. I cut off the main side like we did for Kathleen's white oak, that section. We mm-hmm. cut the ants' rotted part off that side. Right. And I started spraying up in there to get with, with Ray to get rid of all the ants and the termites that were living in the tree. I think they're all done now, so I've got this pretty piece of wood. i got to wait for it to dry out, et cetera, to be able to use it. But it has on this, if you look at look down from the top of it, on one side is this really really red band it's about an inch and a half thick and it's only on half of like you're looking at a half moon on the outer edge of the tree just neat i don't know it happened to be on the east side of the tree east side sunrise it's just kind of i don't know it's kind of carries more picture for me it's got this blood red looking it's I'm imagining when I do something with this piece of wood and have that red area contained in it, mm-hmm. and I finish it, smooth it, and put some kind of uh, lacquer finish on it, I'm imagining it being blood red. Mm. I don't know yet, but I'm hoping to see that. <clears throat> Either way, the, the most curious thing after noticing that red stripe down on one side, I go over to the stump. It's been cut, and for a week later, it is bleeding water out of the east side of the stump where all that red is. It's literally in the middle of the day, bubbling up like a like it's hot and boiling out of the tree. I took a film of it with my phone and sent it to my dad because he was cutting the tree down with me. But it's boiling out. You can see it in live time. It's not a slow, sappy thing. It's like bloop, 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 bloop. <laughs> it's just coming out. Anyway, all that to say, it's kind of a blood red area. The tree is bleeding. It's bleeding water. Blood and water mix came out of Christ hmm. when he was on the cross. I don't know, it's kind of a neat symbolism. Huh. And all that from wood, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, if you live in the area, you got any wood? <laughs> <laughs> well, right, I, I did go to one of my dad's friends. She wanted some trees cut down as we get over there. Um, she's got some good-sized pieces, but more dogwood. So I, I cut down a bunch more of it. Because she just wanted to toss it and get it out of the yard, make the whole front yard flat. A bunch of these trees were small and dying, so uh, either way. (laughs) What are we talking about? Sex and wood. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) And the wedding supper. So the use of the wedding supper comes before any of that other stuff. The wedding supper may be the first time that we are really supposed to be at rest. That's what we were talking about. Is what, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how how do we get on logs? You're, doesn't matter. It does. Don't regress. The li- <laughs> life is not really a place for rest. We don't receive instruction from God to to sit down and do nothing. We don't receive the the whole picture I'm trying to give you of sitting on the screened in porch looking over your lake in the middle of your hundred acres where no other human can see you. There's not really an instruction to progress in that kind of direction. I, and maybe this is odd to say, I guess, but I was thinking about when we were taking my wife and I were taking that uh, Dave Ramsey class. 
if he's using what he has for ministry, he's reaching people I can't reach at my level. So does God want us to be rich? I guess this is a whole separate podcast. He uses rich people to reach. He uses rich believers to reach rich unbelievers. He uses poor believers to reach poor unbelievers. I mean, we can say it that simple. Right. But the main main deal there is is ministry, is go, is serve, is be a priest. That's a whole lot of what we're getting out of this whole thing yeah. for the church. Uh, there is work to be done. There's no sitting down. But at the wedding supper of the Lamb, when the wedding supper of the Lamb comes, that's the time we can sit down, we can rest, we can enjoy. You're right. You say there's no evangelism in heaven, so we won't need any preachers there. <laughs> there won't be any preachers in heaven. Sorry, people. <laughs> <laughs> there won't be any lawyers or doctors either, you know, and especially dentists. What is Luke doing? I wonder. Uh, Doctor Luke. There's no telling. Uh, yeah. Huh. He's probably researching something. He was Greek. Because <laughs> everybody gets that. <laughs> either way. Uh, that's just kind of what I want to say about the Wet Supper Lamb. It's it's really the first place to rest. It's the first place to rest from the work. Um, but the testimony of Jesus needs to be given. That uh, this is one of my favorite verses, Revelation nineteen uh, ten. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What is the spirit that's behind a prophecy somebody is giving you? Is it testifying to Jesus? And right. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast before. We talked about it with the other before. When you hear a prophecy, whether it's in tongues or in your known language, when it gets interpreted, is it uh, is the spirit behind it testifying to Jesus? Is it a testimony about who he is, or is it a feel-good message to yeah. the church? Right. Is it a king's kid message to the church? Because I don't think that's a true prophecy. I don't, right. I, if you want to accept it, you go ahead. I don't accept that into my ears as, oh, that was a word from God. I already know God's going to take care of me. He's taken care of all my stuff so far. He's going to take care of it from here on out. <laughs> He's proved that to me. And I don't know, it's just either way. Uh, the spirit of prophecy testifies to Jesus. The church needs to go out and give that. The work of God through the church by the uh, power of the Holy Spirit is the only one that can accomplish this. So from the beginning, his whole original plan for the Holy Spirit to come to live in man, for God to live in man, that's the church. And the whole purpose of the church is to get more people to know who God is. Yeah. So what's the final state of man with God? Back in the garden, we met with God. I was told with my wife recently, I think I've told you about it, it's my, my explanation of disposition. That being, you know what disposition is, like mm-hmm. what's the stages of progression through the Bible and what the covenants, etc. My explanation is God used to throw Frisbee and throw the ball with Adam. And then when we messed up, he uh, took us inside and we started playing checkers. Because <laughs> rain came. That was the mess up, right? Sin <laughs> came in the world, started raining. We didn't have any umbrellas or galoshes yet, so <laughs> because we hadn't discovered plastic and rubber. <laughs> so we went inside to play checkers, and eventually it got harder and harder. Checkers is kind of like Noah. That's the Noahic covenant. And then later on, it got worse. The Mosaic covenant came along, and now we're playing chess against God. 
He knows all infinite positions and ways. He's worse than Mr. Spock in knowing <laughs> infinite combinations and infinite possibilities. And we think we're going to beat God at chess. And then we look out the window and the sun comes out. And the birds start singing really loud again because everything's washed clean and it's beautiful. And he says, hey, you want to go outside and play ball again? And those who say yes, accept the cross, right. et cetera. So uh, either way, back in the garden, man met with God daily. There was a relationship with God. And that's outside throwing the ball. That's having a good time. That's knowing God personally. Um, yes, there was rules involved. There's still rules involved. But it's not built on the rules. It's built on a relationship. Yeah. Chess and checkers is really built on rules, not relationship with the, the opponent. Um, people who reject the relationship, though, who don't want to go back outside and play, sit at the table and say, I'm going to beat this old man. They keep they continue to try to play checkers <laughs> or chess with God and, and work it. But uh, we used to have a close personal relationship with him. That's what he's trying to get us back to. He never meant for us to be alone. And I guess that's something... <laughs> that's something I see in the church too that I have asked well it's not in the church because those people who even though they are the church many believers nowadays don't want to go to the church you right. can question them and say hey what about this verse over here in Hebrews says uh, you shouldn't forsake the gathering of the brother brothers right it basically says you should go to church well and they got a, a string of excuses I would like to stay home too and do nothing on a Sunday morning I'm just being honest. Yeah, I do enjoy coming and using what God's given me. I like playing guitar. And I like singing. No matter how much other people don't like it in the church, I don't care. I don't come to sing to them. I hope. I mean, honestly, I hope every single one of our churches listening to this at this moment. I don't care if you don't like my voice. You get up and sing then. I don't care if you don't like my guitar. You come up here and play whatever you play then. I'm playing for God every Sunday morning. Yeah. And I'm playing for Jesus every Sunday morning. And I'm playing by the power of the Holy Spirit in me that he's given me every Sunday morning. And it's about me and him. I'm giving back to him what he gave me. He told me to do it in the congregation of his people. He didn't tell me to do it at home alone on Sunday mornings. But I don't come here to do it. I don't come to church to do it for the church to watch it and like it. Yeah. So, uh, and this is something else people want to complain about. It's not the, it's not a broken thing in the church. Right. That everybody thinks the church is here to cater to them. Yeah, and it's meant to be about God. It's meant to be about God, not about man. Yep, but we made it about us. Yeah. So, so when we go complain about we don't like that song, or we don't like what so-and-so did on this ceremony, or blah, blah, blah. I don't know, sometimes people all just shut up. <laughs> I'm just speaking that from church the, would be awesome if it weren't for people. I'm <laughs> just speaking from the hip here, but <laughs> so I guess uh, kind of to close on up. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, and He carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain, and showed me the holy city Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple was the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. So here's, I guess, what the peak of all this is. The stunning part of the church is that God lives in man. That really just stumps me. Huh. You look at the, what he's saying right here. Um, 
the bride is the church, which is made up of believers. We see the angel saying to John that he wants to show John the bride. Then he shows John a city instead. Not a woman, not a bride, but he shows John the city. Is this city the church? It's New Jerusalem. But he says, I'm going to show you the bride. Then he shows him a city. The church is the bride. Keep that, keep that in your back pocket. I mean, it's empty right now, so put something else back there. The church was definitely built by God. Is this not what it means to say that Abraham was looking for a city that was built with the foundations whose designer and builder is God? If the church is the bride and she is the city, the temple in that city is God himself. The Christian is presently the temple of the Holy Spirit, and he is the pledge of more to come. The Holy Spirit lives within us, right? Mm -hmm. If he's the small token of what's going to be more, if we are the church, the church is the bride, the bride is the city, the temple within the city, who is us, is the temple is God. If the Holy Spirit's living in us, God's living in that city. It's just, uh, it's odd. If he is living in us now, what might be the ultimate outcome that God has planned other than to live within the bride? Either way, the church, uh, either way, for the church, eternity with God means unity with God. It's just, you, you see this temple, I do in my mind, you see this temple in the middle of the city, light shining out in all directions from it. I see it as almost a glass see-through city. <laughs> Maybe I waste time painting pictures, but I see these things in my mind that give me the pictures I read off the page. And it's just God living within man now, presently. It's God living within man eternally. Yeah. It's That's crazy. Yeah. It's, I just picture us worshiping God and God, but God also exists outside of us while in us, but we're experiencing the fullness of God. Yeah, it's just kind of a all inclusive. Um, well, we experience the full presence of God by being completely permeated by God. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess we about, put it. And we talked about that before, though. Are we not presently permeated by God? Right. Well, I mean, what do you think? If we are presently permeated by God completely through our bodies, He is in all the space that exists, and we are existing in the space. Is he not presently permeating us, and why then don't we feel the full presence of God right now? Uh, he just withdraws, holds back his manifest presence, just like uh, the temple was his place where you couldn't go or you would die if you ex- okay. you know went through these rules. But he still existed everywhere. He still held things together. He just somehow makes this area a court yeah yeah stronger i'm not really sure i mean we see when moses you know god says (laughs) you can't see me you you can't see me and live i'll tell you what i'll hide you and you just see the back of me because if you see my face you're going to die and Moses, you know, his face was completely changed just at the side of his back. Even even the 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 physical appearance <clears throat> changed without even seeing God face to face. Didn't he tell him he would have to stand on the rock in the cleft? Yes. Stand on the rock to see God. Huh. 
you have to be in the cleft of the rock, that being in the hmm. the cut of the of the rock to <laughs> see God. Point. That's kind of cool. There's good stuff there. Yeah, it's so. the Bible after all. <laughs> the Bible's full of it. Thank Not you for listening to it, Two but... Spies. Buy our gum, buy our steak. <laughs> and soon, buy our wood rocking chairs. <laughs> <laughs>